If you'll stay standing just for a moment. I want to get to our series here today. We started this series, Judges 13. Just stay standing with me just for a few moments. I just want to read this to you real quick. Judges 13 is where we're starting today. If you're physically capable, please stand. If you're physically, let me clarify. If you're physically capable, please stand. Judges 13. It's just an honor to the word of God. Reads his way in verse 1. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines, who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in a town of Zorah. His wife, notice that, you'll, you'll see this, and I'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks, but you'll see that she's unnamed. We know her as Manoah's wife. An unnamed woman, which just adds to the disgrace. She was unable to become pregnant. Again, we're talking about a time period in which pregnancy was considered a blessing and to be barren was a curse. She was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. But isn't it just like God, right? In, in, in what seems like our, our darkest, bleakest uh, moments where we have no hope, we look at the future and, and just say, it's never going to get better. Look what happens in verse 3. But an angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and he said, even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. Can I just speak to any barren situation in your life where you have lost hope and you look at the future as though it's always going to be this way, it's never going to change. Can I just prophesy to you for a moment? Soon and very soon you're going to see the promises of God. Soon and very soon you're going to see everything you've been asking for and believing for. Soon and very soon, because this is the God that I serve. So it says, you will get, become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from their enemies. Father, I thank you today for your word. I pray that the establishment, the, the, the founding moments of this new sermon series, God, that you would speak to our hearts and reveal to us the truth that you need us to know in this season, in, in, in these moments of our life. And God, I do believe that we are going to see victory and breakthrough in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Just before you're seated, when you, when you hear the name Samson, what, what comes to your mind? What do you think when you, when you, when you hear the name Samson? Yeah, it's, it's strength, right? I, I don't know what he looked like, but my, my mind always goes to this like superhero looking buff dude, right? Uh, any, any, anyone else, do you, do you think of, of, of his long hair? Anybody think of the, you know, the, the, uh, the amazing locks of, of Samson? Or anyone ever think of his, his just tragically selfish choices? Just one bad decision after another. Anybody think of his barber? Delilah, anybody think of his barber? Yeah. <laughs> The lady who, who, who cut his hair. Did anybody, anybody ever think that maybe he, you know, he literally brought down the house? What, what does your mind go when you think of this man? The, the irony of this guy, Samson, is this. He was strong on the outside, but so terribly weak where it mattered on the inside. And I need you to know this. It was never God's will that Samson's life would be so messed up. So can you help me praise a God? 
the, the only God who not only forgives our mess-ups, but he can take our mess-ups and manufacture a miracle, manufacture a blessing, manufacture a purpose out of our mistakes. So before you sit down, would you just kind of Samson, uh, you know, Samson shake somebody next to you and just let them know this. Remind them, God can do all things but fail. And remind them of this, God is still working all things together for your good. Come on, shake him and let them know God is working all things together for good. Your mistakes and the things you've done right, God is working all things together for your good. Amen and amen. You can be seated today. You can be seated. Can you, uh, can you show some love for our worship team today? Amen. Uh, uh, especially for my guy, Zy guy, up there, my, my, my son, Zion, showing you what I couldn't do a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I, I tried hard, but, uh, but, but I, I failed miserably. So thank you, Zy, for showing me up today. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> is that Rowan? Rowan, is that you? Hey, Rue. From St. Louis. Rue's in the house. Hallelujah. Welcome, Rue. What I want to do just for a few moments is I want to kind of share with you kind of an overview of the story of Samson. And I will dig into this chapter by chapter over the next few weeks, but just a kind of a, a brief overview. And let's just start ultimately with, with what happens here. His birth is miraculous. He, he's got one of those, those Bible births, right? Where an angel has to show up. It's the miraculous birth. The angel shows up and, and has to let his, his nameless mother know that you're going to have a miracle baby because for whatever reason, You've been un un unable to bear children. You're going to have a miracle child. And, and this child is going to be very special in this way. He's going to have what we call the Nazarite vow. Now, forgive me if this seems a, a, little, a little less preachy and a little more teachy today, okay? But I've got to establish something, okay? The Nazarite vow. What is the, what is the Nazarite vow exactly? It comes from Numbers chapter 6. The Nazarite vow was a special vow that was taken by anyone who was not a priest. And what it was is it was their voluntary de dedication to God himself, almost like those who were raised Catholic, right? Like, like, a, like a nun or, or those of you who know of monks. That's voluntary dedication. I'm literally setting myself aside for the purposes of God. And by definition, when we look at the Nazarite vow, the, the root of that word, uh, Nazir, it means to be separated or to be consecrated unto God. So we have these stipulations. The Nazarite vow had three stipulations. And the first stipulation was this, don't just avoid getting drunk. You have to abstain even from drinking alcohol. You have, to, you have to abstain even from drinking. Man, this is why some of you refuse to take the Nazarite vow. Come on, somebody. The Nazarite vow means no wine, no margaritas, no Coronas, no hillbilly Kool-Aid, no shots, not even a Mike's Hard Lemonade. None of that. None of that. Here, here was the whole purpose of this vow. The, the whole purpose, the first pur purpose of this vow was this. It was for protection protection. Well, come on, come on, let's be honest. I don't, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, drinkers in the house. I'm not asking you to do this, but be honest. Alcohol is a false stimulant. Okay, come on. It can impair your judgments. That's why we don't drink and drive, right? It can impair your perception. That's why the Bible says to be sober in vigilance, okay? Because it can impair your judgment, your spiritual discernment, if you will, yeah? And so here's what this vow was. This was not a vow to simply say alcohol is bad. This was a vow to say you have to stay away, avoid anything that can defile, have a defiling influence on your decisions, on your life. So stay away even from a sip of alcohol. Woo, hallelujah. Pentecostals are just like, hey, man, we got this. Yeah, hey. The Lutherans are like, dang it. What the? 
So we're not to just avoid getting drunk, we're to abstain even from drinking anything. The second part of this vow is this. Even though you're gonna need it, don't get a haircut. Do not go to your barber. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I am not sure what type of hairstyle Samson had, but I am 100% sure it was not a mullet. Can I show you a mullet? Here's a, pa a picture of Pastor Olga and Pastor Beto back when they were teenagers. Zoom in for me, Karina, zoom in for me. Yes, look at that bad boy right there. Come on, that's glorious. Shout it out in, woo! In the, in the, in the spirit of Pastor Beto, I, I, I wanted to do my best Pastor Beto, so I did the best I could. I was a little bit younger than Pastor Beto, but I, I did the best I could. Got that for me, Karina? See, I did the best I could. It was, it was there. I, I tried. I really tried hard. But in my mind, I, I was thinking, what did Samson look like as a child? Here's what I believe Samson looked like as, as a child, right here. That's my guy. Justice David Becker, baby. That's what I believe. That's what I believe Samson looked like as a child. Woo, look at the long, beautiful locks. My God, it was amazing. See, if you had a mullet, you have to know that even though you thought it looked cool, there is forgiveness and mercy for you here today to be healed of your bad decisions. The second part of this vow was this. Why the long hair? Why can't I get a haircut? Why not? Because especially in Jewish culture, right? I grow the beard, but I don't grow out my hair. Paul talked about how it was more of a disgraceful thing. So to grow out my hair meant I was willing to look like a disgrace. It was an identifying marker. The second part of this vow was for identification. The first part was for protection. The second part is for identification. That long hair becomes a distinguishing mark that I am consecrated to the Lord. Here's the application for, for us here today. When you want to be liked and, and when you want to fit in and, and when you want to please people, you must never please people at the expense of not pleasing God. The identification, who do I belong to? You must not try to fit in at the expense of being who God has called you to be. You must not try to act like everyone else just to be accepted and therefore be ashamed of representing Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said it like this one time in Mark chapter 8. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man, you better get this in your heart, ladies and gentlemen, will be ashamed of that person when he returns in glory of his Father when with the holy angels. I don't know about you, but I, I don't understand why you sit here in church and confess to be a Christian, but everything you post and how you act at work and what your neighbors think of you says anything other than that you love Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just hear from the men and women who are not ashamed to be identified as a son of God, as a daughter of the Most High, as one who's been saved and redeemed. I'm not ashamed to let the world know I'm not like them. I'm different than them. I've got a Savior, a Redeemer, a God who set me on, on purpose, a God who, who loves me, gave himself for me, and a God that I'm going to be with for all eternity. Not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Brock is not ashamed to let us all know he's got a wife. He's not ashamed to let us know that. Do not be ashamed to let people know you've got a savior. Because the shame will come from your savior when he speaks to the father about your life. I'm not ashamed. And in such an adulterous and sinful day, I want to be identified as one who belongs to Jesus. Does that mean don't cut my hair, Pastor? No, please. 
please, groom yourself. But make sure your heart, your words, your actions, your life, your purity, your love, your speech, your conduct, make sure it's the one that reflects who you belong to. The last part of this Nazarite vow was this. If it's dead, don't touch it. If it's dead, don't touch it. Now, some of you are thinking, there's no problem there. I have zero desire to hang out in a cemetery. Anybody ever play tag in cemetery back in the day? Anybody ever do something crazy like that? Okay, y'all remember. I have zero desire to do that. Hello. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. The, the, the Nazarite vow was, was more than this. Not Yes, literally, do not touch dead things. Do not touch dead people. There was even stipulation if someone dies right next to you, the process you had to go through to, to once again purify yourself because of the sin that you were now around, that you had just now touched. But God is, is, is not, I believe, just speaking to just those, those dead people and dead animals. I believe he's speaking to a spiritual application for us. The third part of this vow is about separation. If the first part, no alcohol, is for protection, if the second part, grow your hair out, is, is for identification, then this third part, don't touch anything dead, is for separation. You and I, we were once dead in our sins. We were dead spiritually. When Adam sinned, the Bible said he died. Not physically, he died spiritually. And now that death has separated him from God. That's why I love what Colossians says. Paul said this in Colossians 2. He said, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. It was not yet cut away. But God made you alive with Christ when he forgave all your sins. What's the application for us today? Don't touch the dead thing. No, here's the, here's the application for us today. If it's ungodly, it's deadly. I'll say it again. If it's ungodly, it's deadly. It's deadly to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's deadly to try to date people who are headed in one direction when God has called you to a completely different direction. It is deadly to try to become business partners with people who have resources but have no righteousness. It's deadly to touch the ungodly thing. That's why the Bible tells us do not conform to the ways, the patterns of this world. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 6. He said, therefore, come out from among the unbelievers and separate yourself from them. God is saying this. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. I will receive you. Isn't that what we want? I just want to be received by God. I want to be welcomed by God. But how can I reach for a holy God and still keep my hands on unholy dead things? Samson had this vow spoken over his life before he was born. It was a vow he was meant to keep. And if you look at his life, as you, as you want to you know, kind of get ahead of me the next few weeks, then read Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. And you will see that this guy had everything going for him. He had, literally, he was the product of a, of a miracle birth. He had godly parents that raised him. He was given supernatural strength to, to just do some supernatural things. And in the book of Judges, 12, of, 12 judges are named, and he's the last judge named. So he's literally got like everything going for him. So why does he fail so miserably? Can I just give you a couple quick things why I believe he failed? Number one, I believe he failed because he didn't pray. Okay. In fact, the only time we read of Samson praying was when? When he was getting into trouble. Sound like anybody you know. 
Yeah. See, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. You can't, you can't run your car on an empty tank. Come on, I know most of you. You can't work on an empty stomach. Come on, you, you cannot pay your bills on an empty bank account. And you cannot live a victorious Christian life without daily time in prayer with the Father. Samson to pray. We also know this, that he refused to live by God's word. His mom and dad confronted him about marrying the wrong woman. He had all these options of Israelite women to choose from, but he found this fine Philistine woman. And, and here's what he told them. He basically told me, he said, get her for me. I don't care what you say. I want it. Get it. That's what I like. She's the one for me. Oh, good Lord, have I heard people say this over, what, almost three decades of ministry now. She's the one for me. Really? Then how come three years later she married someone else? Let, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because when you are led by sentiment and selfishness rather than scripture, your life is headed for destruction. I'll say it again. When your life is led by sentiment and not by the Holy Scriptures, when your life is led by the selfishness of your flesh and not the Holy Scriptures, you've only got one path, fam. It's a path of destruction. And you don't get to pick and choose which scriptures you want to live by and which scriptures you want to ignore. That's not how this works. Samson tried it. His life needs to be a living example to you that when you refuse to live by God's word, you are accepting the destruction that comes from your own selfish choices. The last thing I know about Samson, is, I believe why he failed is this. He was empowered by the spirit, but he was also dominated by his flesh. He got those momentary moments, Rev, where he's moved by the spirit and he does something supernatural. But most of the time, what do we read about Samson? He's motivated by lust. He's motivated by entitlement. He's motivated by pride. Motivated by lust. Come on, please don't raise your hand. Okay. Motivated by lust. What does that mean? It means I want it. This was his motivation. I want it. Samson would kill people because he was so driven by lust. I'll kill him just to get what I want. He killed 30 dudes one time because he, he lost a bet, right? Just to, just to, to get their cloaks. This is the kind of guy we're talking about. So motivated by lust. So, so motivated by entitlement. Ooh, good Lord, I better stop right here before I start talking about this generation. And all your entitlements. Ooh, someone needs to pay off all my college debt. Me? Right? Who's going to pay it off? Taxpayers? Yeah. Oh, I get it. And what about my college debt? Who's paying that off? Oh, I did. Oh. Because I'm entitled. I feel like I deserve something. This was Samson's attitude. He was motivated by this. I deserve it. Says who? I'm just kidding. Who says who? I'm, I'm entitled to it. He was motivated by this. And then lastly, he was motivated by his pride. And maybe that's the root of all the lust and all the entitlement anyway, right? I can handle it. I can handle this. Right? Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Let me just shake myself because I can handle this. And it happens again. I'll just shake myself when the enemy shows up because I can handle this. And then you get so prideful, you give away the source of your strength because you think it's about you. 
And then what ends up happening? The next time the enemy comes, you think, I can handle this. And you shake yourself. But you don't even realize the spirit is gone. You've lost your source. A man that was so prideful. The Bible does tell us this in 1 John chapter 2. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. Check this out, ladies and gentlemen. It is not from the Father. It's from the world. I'm going to kind of wrap this up here. I told you this is just an overview. I'll, get, I'll dig deep the next few weeks, but can you go back to verse 5 from here, Karina? Verse 5, as the angel is speaking to Manoah's wife, Samson's mother, I'm, I'm struck by what he says, okay? Be careful not to drink any wine, any alcoholic drink. Don't eat any forbidden food. So he's literally, we're establishing the covenant with mama so it can be passed on to son. And you will become pregnant. You're going to give birth to a son. His hair must never be cut. He will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. Cool. Awesome, right? But check out the fine print. Look at the fine print. He will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Begin. Look at the fine print. That's a strange way of saying it, right? He will begin to save Israel. It's strange to me because he's the last judge named in the book. So the question becomes, if, if Samson begins to save, who's going to finish it? Come on, for those of you who know how this whole story ends, it's obvious who completes the salvation that my Old Testament heroes could only start. They were the outline, but he is the substance. They were the shadows, but he is the sun. They, they were the beasts, if you will, but he is the goats, the greatest of all time. They, their work was acceptable, but his finished work on a cross made us accepted. What they began, only he can finish. That's why Hebrews 12, 2 says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So from the very beginning of this story of Samson, Samson's life is pointing to someone greater. Samson points to Jesus, the true and better Samson, the one who would succeed everywhere that Samson failed. And just like Samson, Jesus' strength did not come from his muscular structure. His strength came from an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But unlike Samson, Jesus would never compromise God's law. Jesus would never compromise his vows. He would keep them and fulfill them. Unlike Samson, Jesus was not controlled by his selfish impulses. Jesus was controlled by the will of the Father. Unlike Samson, who felt entitled and proud, Jesus, the only one who was actually entitled, the only one who carried a title, would take on the role of a servant and humble himself and submit himself to humiliation and the shame of death on a cross. Ladies and gentlemen, it's okay to be amazed by the strength of Samson, but I am awestruck by the sacrifice of Jesus. Samson's strength will impress us, but it's not enough to change us. Because what we need most is not some kind of ripped, buff-looking supermodel. What we need is a humble, 
broken, contrite, submitted Savior who will give us his strength and save us from our greatest enemy, ourselves. That's what we need. 2 Corinthians 5, 12, 21 says it this way. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, meaning Jesus never sinned. He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Can I just take a moment and let me just hear from the people who not just believe, but they have received everything that Jesus did for you. He became weak so that you could become strong. He became poor so that you could become rich. He became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. He himself who was life submitted to death so that you and I can live. Can I hear from the people who say, thank you, Lord. I don't just believe it. I receive everything you've done for me. Here's the last thing I want to say. As I was reading through this, I believe God was showing me something, and he revealed this to me. And Ms. Vidi, here's what I got. I see the parallels between Samson and Jesus. I see the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. I see the parallels between Moses and Jesus. I see the parallels between Joshua and Jesus. This whole thing is about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. The Emmaus Road was proof of that when he's speaking to two disciples who can't recognize him after his resurrection. And he shows them how the entire Old Covenant points to him. So I see the parallels. But this struck me earlier. The parallels with Samson don't actually conclude with Jesus. Think about it. Samson's birth was a miraculous birth. Because of Jesus, so is ours. John 3, 3, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again. Ooh, a miraculous birth. How can I go back to my mama's womb? That would just be wrong. No, born again of spirit and water. Unless you are born again, we are going to be baptizing people in a couple weeks. I dare you to go ahead and take that step of faith and let people know outwardly what Jesus has done inwardly. I've been born again. I have a miraculous birth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who belongs to Jesus has become a new creation, a new person. What happened? The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I see the parallels between Samson and me. How about this? Samson had a covenant with God. We call it the Nazarite vow. Because of Jesus, so do I. Luke 22, 20. At the Last Supper, Jesus took a cup and he said, this cup of the new covenant is between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Oh, just like Samson had a covenant with God, I've got a covenant with God through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9, 15. That is why he, the one who is a mediator between the new covenant between God and us so that you and I, we are called, can receive the internal inheritance that God has promised us for Jesus died to set us free from the penalty of sin that we committed under the first covenants. I've got a whole new covenant with God. Think about this parallel. Samson had godly parents because of Jesus. I've got a whole new father. He's no longer my God. He becomes my Abba, my Abba Father. This is why John said in John 1, 12, but to all who believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave them the rights. I love King James. Gave them the power to be called sons of God. 
got a, I've got, I've got new parents. Your parents could have been crazy, baby. Maybe they're still living in the all crazy. Cool. I've got a new daddy. My father in heaven. Think about this parallel. Samson had a special calling of God upon his life. Because of Jesus, God calls you special. You was kind. You was smart. You was important. How do I know that? Because 1 Peter 2, 7 says, yes, you who trust in Jesus recognize the honor that God has given him. But for those who reject Jesus, he's the stone that the builders rejected but now he's become the chief cornerstone. But you haven't rejected him. You're not like that. You are a chosen generation. Sam's had a special call, ladies and gentlemen, but God calls me something very unique and special here. He calls me a royal priesthood. He calls me a holy nation. He calls me his own possession. And as a result, I am to show others the goodness of God. For he called me out of darkness. Could somebody just take just 10 seconds and say, thank you, Lord. I've been redeemed from my past. Called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And lastly, this. Here's the last parallel I want to give you. Samson had a special anointing in order to fulfill his special calling. Because of Jesus, you had that same anointing. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Wait, power to grab 300 foxes and tie their tails together and set them on fire and let them run through the Philistines' field? Power to, power to tear down a, a massive gate and, and make my way? Power to grab the, jaw stone, uh, the jawbone of a, a donkey and kill a thousand Philistines? No, power to be my witnesses. Samson had power to kill. You have power to bring about life. You have power to witness. You have power to point people to Christ. You have power to proclaim the name of Jesus. You have power to redeem people from hell and set them on a course towards heaven. You you have been given power. Samson only had power of death. You have the power of life. The Spirit of God. And this is why Paul said this in Romans chapter 8. He said, if Christ lives in you, even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. And the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that came upon Samson, the same Spirit that Joshua walked in, the same Spirit, Shadmach, Rishad, Meshach, and Abednego, to go news with the, the same spirit of God that was present upon every anointed hero of faith in the old covenant is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and that's the same spirit alive in your dead body today looking at me like it doesn't matter you've got to know I was once dead in my sin but I'm alive because of Jesus pastor it's a holiday weekend we should be calm and relax and take it easy not today, family. I've got a special anointing on my special calling, and it doesn't let me be dormant and lazy and laid back and apathetic. That anointing lets me know I've got power. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's alive inside of us today. It's the same spirit that wants to quicken. King James, quicken your mortal body. Make you alive. Let me just say this. I do realize that in the modern American church, we can carry the appearance. We can be Samson. I've got the look. 
that I belong to God. The outward is misleading. I can throw up my hands and I can shout and I can dance and, and, and I can read the Bible and I can give you the outward appearance of holiness. But I can only see the outward. The Father sees your heart. He's looking on it today. And I believe the Spirit of God is just wanting to, to reveal to you those areas where you think you're strong. Those areas where you, you think you have to put on a certain appearance and perception. I believe what the Spirit of God wants to do today is, is He wants to show you that even in spite of the mistakes you've made and are currently making, that He is the kind of God that could take someone named Samson who can screw up most of his life, but when it matters, and that's why I love the end of this story. It's, I'm so encouraged by the end of Samson's story because at the end of his life, he calls on the name of the Lord again. And I do believe that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you may have lost some things along the way. You may have forfeited some things along the way. Samson did. But this is what's so encouraging about this story. That God does not give up on us until it's over. Ladies and gentlemen, if it ain't over, if you're still breathing, if you're still here, I believe there's a, an opportunity for a bounce back. I believe there's an opportunity for a return. I believe there's an opportunity to see your strength, to see your power, to see your calling to see your anointing fulfilled again. And I see the story of Samson. Here's what I do know. In spite of all his mistakes, guess where he's included? Hebrews chapter 11. The hall of faith. The, I don't know what he did to deserve to be there, but God ultimately determined that he was going to be literally fit in with the same people as Moses and Gideon and, and David. He's going to be found right there. Why? Because it doesn't matter how many times you mess up. It matters. Do you return back to God the Father and say, Lord, here's my mess, but can you still make a miracle out of me? God, here I am in my brokenness, but can you heal me long enough to do your will just one more time I see this in the life of Samson I'm encouraged you today that God can take a total failure and still accomplish great things out of any honest people I've been a total failure Woo oh Lord and yet I serve a God I serve a God I know you've given up on me. I know, I know if you knew the things that I was thinking and, and the things I want to say and, and the things I've been feeling, I know you'd give up on me, but I serve a God that sees my failures and still chooses to use me for his glory. Come on, somebody. God isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for willing people, submitted people, humble people, repentant people that will come back to him and say, God, get the glory for my failures. Get the glory for my mistakes. Get the glory for my life. Before I close the service out today, I believe that God is wanting to include us in his great hall of faith. I don't know about you, but I, I don't feel like David many times. I feel like Samson many times. I don't deserve to be here. I, I don't have a right. I have no right to, to be here. But God included me in this space. Can we just take just 10 seconds with our hands raised and just say, thank you, Lord, for grace. Grace that says, I'm receiving 
what I didn't even earn, what I don't deserve. Thank you for that grace. So come on. Can you just lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some of you have made one bad decision after another, but the grace of God is here today to not only forgive you, but to transform you. That's what somebody needs. I, I, I feel you today. But you don't just need God to, to wipe the slate clean. You, you need him to give you a whole new direction and purpose. I feel some Samson's in the room that you maybe spent an entire lifetime bound and motivated by lust, bound and motivated by entitlement, bound and motivated by your pride, but there's a grace that is in this space today, the grace of God that is saying your life's not over, and if you would just turn to me, I will take your failures, and I will redeem them, and I will turn them into my successes, not for your name, but for my name. I hear you, Lord. Samson isn't the name that matters. The name that matters is, Jamin isn't the name that matters. Beto is not the name that matters. Michael is not the name that matters. Vidi is not the name that matters. It's the name that I carry. The name of my Savior, Jesus. That is the name that is going to be glorified in my life. Come on, just for a few more seconds, can you just lift your hands with me right now and just say, God, I seek your grace. God, I seek your forgiveness. God, I'm not just sorry. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, you got to move me on as being sorry. Lord, I repent. I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my will. I'm submitting and surrendering to you. Father, I'm asking on a holiday weekend that you would give me men and women in this space here today who won't just focus on a day off, but will focus on the fact that your love never takes a day off. Your grace never takes a day off. Your patience never takes a day off. Your mercies are new every morning. And God, we need that right now. We need that right now. Forgive our apathy. Forgive our lethargy. Forgive our lukewarmness. Forgive our shortcomings. Forgive our mistakes. Forgive our greed. Forgive our entitlements. Forgive our lust. Forgive our pride. God, forgive us, transform us, and make us like Jesus so that we can bring you glory in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Can you just for a moment stand your feet with me all over this room? It's a holiday weekend. That's why I'm getting you out early. Amen. You don't feel like rejoicing about anything else. Rejoice in the fact that we are literally beating out like, you know, other churches to lunch right now. Come on, somebody. Amen. But before we get too excited, any honest people in the room here just for a moment? Just be honest with me for just for a moment. Say, I've, I've lived Samson's life. I've lived it. Come on, don't, don't be ashamed. I've lived it. I've lived it. I've made one bad choice after another. I've been motivated by lust. I've been motivated by entitlement. I've been motivated by pride. It's gotten the best of me time and time again. Whew. But I'm also moved by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the one who, who keeps beckoning me back to the Father. It's the Holy Spirit who keeps convicting me of my sins. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you never give up on us. In fact, even when I'm in the midst of my prideful, selfish decisions, the Spirit of God is interceding, praying for me, intervening for me. He's the one making the way of escape in those moments of temptation. 
So Father, right now, I just want to say thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for never leaving me. I don't even deserve to have you around. Why? Because he's holy. And there's so many parts of me that aren't. But Holy Spirit, I praise you now that you don't leave me the way I am. I praise you that you're helping Jamin Becker decrease so that Jesus can increase in my words, in my mind, in my actions, in my compassion, in my need for revenge. I'm acting more like Jesus and less like Jamin. In my need to, to let you know what I'm really thinking, I can actually have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're making me less like me and more like Jesus. Spirit of God, listen to me, it's Labor Day, I get it, but the Spirit of God is working. He's working. He's working. He's working. He's, wor he's working. He's working. He's working right now. And I believe He's going to produce victory in your life. I believe it. I believe it's happening even now. In all things, God is working. He's working all things together for good. Oh, you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? Not just my right choices. He's working my bad choices for his good. Not just when I'm living holy, but when I'm living evil. He's working all things together for my, not just when I'm receiving blessings, but when curses are trying to overtake, he's working all things. Not just when you tell me how awesome I am, but when the enemy tells me how awful I am. God is working all things. Not when my, my bank account increases, but when I've got nothing left, he's still working all things together for my good I just want to praise a God on a Labor Day weekend who never takes a day off he never sleeps nor slumbers can you put your hands together with me for a moment and say thank you Lord thank you Lord you're still working when I don't see it he's working when I don't feel it he's working he never stops working all things together